take your Bibles this morning and turn with me to the book of Colossians, Paul's letter to the Colossians. We're going to be looking in chapter 1, verses 9, 10, and 11. Of course, continuing our series, let us pray. And uh, I don't know about you, but I have just thoroughly enjoyed uh, the series to this point. I'm going to try not to mess that up today. Uh, but beyond that, I have been challenged to, uh, to pray uh, for my life to, to change uh, the way that I spend my time. Uh, and uh, I hope that that is the case for you uh, as well. We never uh, want to teach purely for the sake uh, of knowledge, uh, but our prayer is always that the knowledge that is imparted uh, from this pulpit will then take root in your life and change the way you live. Uh, and of course, that is our, our prayer today as well. The title of this morning's message is Interceding for the Intellect. Uh, again, we're going to talk about how we should pray uh, and specifically how we should pray for one another. Uh, the reality is that we are intellectual beings. God created us with an intellect. In other words, we have been given a mind that has the capacity to think, to know, uh, to understand. And, and I hope that you realize that. Uh, we live in a world today, and, and even in some uh, places within uh, the church, uh, there is this thought uh, that we have advanced to such a place that, you know, we just really can't be sure of anything. Uh, and let me just dispel that notion right now, if that's something that you've ever heard or thought about. Uh, we can know things uh, because God uh, reveals things that we can know. Uh, and that's what we're going to be talking about today and specifically praying for one another that we will come to know those things that God has revealed so that our lives will then be lived in a manner that is consistent with who God has revealed himself to be and just what it is that he has revealed to us that we are to do uh, with our lives. We're encouraged in Scripture to grow in our knowledge of who God is, of what he's like and who he has created us to be. And further, we are challenged to daily deepen our understanding of God and his creation through the study of his word. Uh, Coming to know God in a much fuller sense is something that should be going on in our lives from now on. Uh, we don't just come to know God, uh, as, as Rick mentioned a moment ago, in, in, in the fact that we are now His redeemed, uh, and, and, and let it stop there. Uh, but even as Rick asked the question, do you understand what that means? Uh, and I, I just let that kind of sink in for a moment. Uh, when you are referred to in Scripture, or if somebody mentions that word, redeemed, uh, I, am, I am redeemed of the Lord, what does that mean? We should know what that means. We should think about what that means. Uh, we should pray for one another that we would know what that means. But you see, the problem is, and why prayer is so absolutely essential here, is that thinking, knowing, understanding, uh, all of these things are hard work. Uh, they don't come naturally. They don't come easily. Uh, they're hard work. And what I hope we go away with today is this understanding that, that they require a, a concerted effort. You can't do this by yourself. All right. We need one another. Uh, of course, uh, 
we must diligently pursue our own intellectual progress. But we must also determine to pray for the intellectual progress of others. And let me just say this right now as well. Uh, there has been a, a movement within the church uh, towards anti-intellectualism. In other words, you've heard people say, you know, well, if you're too heavenly minded, you'll be no earthly good. Uh, I'm just not sure that we can be too heavenly minded. Uh, I mean, I understand the saying and what they're trying to, to warn us of, but uh, I'm not sure I've ever met a Christian that was too heavenly minded, <laughs> that knew too much of God uh, or his word. So, we must pursue our own intellectual progress. We must pray for the intellectual progress of our brothers and sisters in Christ. Solomon writes in Proverbs. As a matter of fact, Solomon wrote a whole book for us, all right? Uh, a book of wisdom, uh, the Proverbs. And in Proverbs chapter 2, verses 3 through 6, Solomon says this. He says, yes, if you call out for insight and raise your voice for understanding, if you seek it like silver and search for it as for hidden, hidden treasure, then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. For the Lord gives wisdom, and from his mouth come knowledge and understanding. And so combined in those few verses, Solomon lets us know how important it is that we pursue spiritual knowledge and understanding of who God is and just what he is doing in and through our lives uh, and, and, of course, we also realize that, that we're to pray in regard to this. He says we should call out for insight. We should raise our voice for understanding. And, again, I want to emphasize this morning that not just for yourself, as important as it is that you spend time in prayer for your own personal growth spiritually, we need to be praying for our brothers and sisters in Christ as well. James chapter 1, verse 5, again, a verse we're all familiar with. If anyone lacks wisdom, let him ask God. Again, this idea of asking God, going to the Lord in prayer as the source of wisdom. And of course, James says, God gives generously to all who ask without reproach. Uh, God invites us in Jeremiah 33, verse 3. He says, call to me and I will answer you and I will tell you great and hidden things that you have not known. Um, have you ever been in a group of people uh, and, and you feel like you just don't know as much as everybody else in the group? Nobody in that group knows everything that they need to know. Because nobody in that group is God. God says there are things that we've just not known yet. We've not come to know. But if we'll call out to him, he says he'll answer us. He'll tell us. He'll, he'll show us those things that, that in our own strength are completely inaccessible to us. That's what that word great means there in Jeremiah 33.3. Uh, the ESV translates it hidden, hidden or great things. These are, these are things that are completely inaccessible to us apart from God choosing to lovingly reveal them to us. But he says... I will, I will answer you if you will call unto me. And so in Colossians verses 9 through, Colossians 1 verses 9 through 11, the Apostle Paul, again, is praying for his brothers and sisters in Christ. And what he does here is he gives us another illustration of how we too can better pray, how we can better pray for one another. And what we need to be praying for 
when we pray for our brothers and sisters in Christ. And so let's, let's read these verses together. Colossians 1, beginning in verse 9. Paul writes, And so from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. May you be strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy. Let's stop there and pray. Father, we are so thankful today for this timely reminder that uh, if we are to advance intellectually in our understanding of you, of your word, of, of the works that you have uh, created us to accomplish, uh, then, Lord, we need to spend time in prayer. Uh, and, and not just for our own selves, but for our brothers and sisters in Christ. Lord, I pray that you would always bring to our minds our family, our, our fellow believers when we bow to pray. Lord, um, again, you tell us so often in your word that we're to love our neighbor as ourself, that we are to consider the interests of others even more important than our own interests, that we are to sacrificially lay down our lives uh, for our friends, Lord, uh, again, in, the, in demonstration of that love that you have imparted to us. Uh, so, Father, I pray that as we, as we continue to pursue a, a deeper understanding of prayer and how we are to pray, Lord, you would help us to remember in our prayers that... that uh, we should be spending time praying for others, and specifically that there would be a growth, an increase in their intellectual knowledge of God and of His will. Uh, and so, Lord, help us to do that. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. And amen. Well, Paul, Paul gives us uh, really a pattern uh, for prayer here as he begins. He, he, he says, and so from the day we heard, we've not ceased to pray for you. Um, so the question that comes to mind is this, what was it that Paul uh, and his companions heard that prompted them to pray for the church or for the fellow, their fellow Christians in, in, in Colossae? Now, Paul never met these people in person. Uh, he did not preach in this church, but he heard uh, about them, uh, and, and, and so as a result of that, he prayed, and, and so prayer begins with a consciousness. In other words, we, uh, we can pray for people whether we are completely conscious of, of what they're going through. I mean, we can pray in general, right? We know that people struggle. We know that people have difficulties. We know that people go through hardship and sorrow and tragedy, and we know those things, and because we are human beings, we can, we can sympathize with and pray for our fellow human beings. But Paul says, specifically, since the day we heard... We've not ceased to pray for you, and so uh, I think it's important for us to kind of concentrate just a moment on what it was that Paul heard. What prompted Paul to hear? And of course, the answer to that question is found back up in verse 4. <clears throat> verse 3 says, we always thank God the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ when we pray for you, since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of your love for all the saints. <clears throat> Paul began to pray 
without ceasing for his fellow believers when he heard that they had come to faith in Christ. We typically pray most fervently for those who have not come to faith in Jesus Christ, for those who are lost, right? Um, That's who we think we should be praying for, and by the way, we should. Paul's not saying that we should not pray for those who have not come to faith in Jesus Christ. But typically, once a person is saved, we rejoice together, and we praise God because He has answered our prayer, uh, and then we move on to pray for somebody else, right? But Paul says, since the, the day I heard of your faith in Christ Jesus, I've been praying for you. And again, it is a reminder to us that, that we need to pray for one another. We need to pray for our fellow Christians. Uh, because the reality is the Christian life is, is hard. Just like we talked about progressing intellectually in our understanding of God and His will, knowing His Word more thoroughly, uh, thinking, understanding, all of these things are difficult. Well, let me tell you, Living for Jesus is difficult. Allowing the Lord to live through you is difficult. I mean, Jesus paints a a pretty bleak picture. Uh, He says, look, uh, the world hates me. It's going to hate you too. Uh, We don't experience a lot of that, do we? Uh, Timothy, uh, actually, Paul, writing to Timothy, says, all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. Uh, the reality is, is that for Christians, life becomes difficult. Uh, there is a, an opposition that we encounter, a resistance, often a rejection of our faith. Uh, the song we sang just a moment ago uh, about uh, have, have your friends despised you. Uh, again, that's something that in our personal experience, we may not have encountered that often. But the reality is for many Christians, the minute they turn to Christ and commit to following Him, uh, friends and family do indeed despise and reject them. We need to pray for our brothers and sisters in Christ. The moment we are aware of their faith in Christ Jesus. And of course, that goes for any prayer need uh, once you become aware of it. Uh, we have a responsibility at that point to pray. And we need to pray with, with a constancy. You know, we, we, we read those words. Uh, Paul says, we have not ceased to pray for you. Uh, and, and again, we know that there was much that the Apostle Paul did other than praying, all right? Uh, he taught. He shared his testimony. He witnessed. Uh, there, there were many things that, that he did uh, in uh, the, the pursuit of the ministry that God had entrusted to him, just as there will be for us. Uh, but I don't believe that Paul was in any way exaggerating when he says that we've not ceased to pray. In other words, this was something that was on his mind, in his heart. He loved these people because they were his fellow believers, his brothers and sisters in Christ, and so he, he prayed for them. And, and also notice that he prayed for them not just during bad times, but even during the good times. Again, we have a tendency to really get serious about prayer when everything goes wrong, when there's been some tragedy, some heartbreak. Uh, We need to be just as fervent in prayer during the good times as we are in the bad times. So when we become aware, conscious of some need, we pray. And we should pray with a a constancy, uh, again, not ceasing in our prayers. And then notice Paul says that his Prayer is, is for you. Uh, 
Certainly Paul desired in his own life uh, to advance in his knowledge and understanding uh, of the Lord. And, and of course we know that since the day that God saved Paul on that road to Damascus that there had been a great progression of knowledge as, as Paul heard from the Lord and, and, and recorded for us in the pages of Scripture what he had been taught. But here his consideration was for others. Uh, and, and that's what I want to encourage today in us, that we consider others in our prayer. Uh, I think so often in prayer we go to the Lord in, in a really selfish way. Uh, we go to the Lord to ask Him for the things that we want in our own life, that we think we need in our own life. Paul is encouraging us to spend time in prayer, thinking of others, praying for others, concerned about the lives of others and their advancement in the faith. Since the day we've heard, we've not ceased to pray for you. So that was the pattern of Paul's prayer, and it should become a pattern in our own lives as well. And then the, the petition, the specific request that Paul made, and, and notice he uses the word here, asking. Uh, and of course, that's what we do when we pray, right? Uh, we ask, we go before the Lord asking, but that's not all that we do. Uh, Neil emphasized just a couple of weeks ago that we should go before the Lord in prayer, praising Him for who He is, expressing our delight, uh, our joy in, 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 in following Him and in knowing what He has done for us and what He continues to do for us. But, but here, Paul says, we have been asking, we have been petitioning God in behalf of you, again, interceding for others. Uh, and, and the word asking there is a, is a pretty broad-ranging word. It can imply a humble petition, which no doubt when we go before the Lord, we should humbly ask God for the things that, that we are asking Him for. But it can also refer to an urgent demand, a humble petition or an urgent demand. I believe here Paul's prayer combines the two ideas as he humbly petitions, as he asks God to provide what his fellow believers urgently need. In other words, this wasn't just something that Paul thought might be a benefit to these men and women. Paul saw this being filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding. Again, that was an urgent need in their lives. It wasn't just something that, that they could take or leave. It wasn't something that was insignificant. It was, it was an urgent demand. And so Paul cries out to God in behalf of his brothers and sisters in Christ and asks. Um, and he asks specifically for this, that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding. Uh, we often encounter that word filled in, in, in Scripture when we're talking about being filled with the Spirit, right? Uh, and there have been discussions and debates and sermons preached about what that means exactly. Well, that word filled simply means to be filled completely uh, and, and exclusively by. Uh, again, to, if you wanted to take a glass and fill it with water, you would fill it to the top and there would be nothing in that glass except water. Completely filled, exclusively filled. That's the idea of being filled with the Spirit. That's the idea of being filled with the knowledge of His will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding. And so the, the implication of that kind of filling is that we, we are controlled by what fills us. And that's what Paul is saying here. 
we are to be completely and exclusively controlled by. Our lives are to be directed by, our thoughts, by the fact that we have a knowledge of his will, that we are growing in spiritual wisdom and understanding. And so it speaks of this control, the control that, that God's will has over our lives. I mean, often one of the things that we struggle with is to know God's will, right? We, we struggle to know God's will. Sometimes it's, it's fairly easy to know God's will. Husbands, Paul writes in Ephesians, love your wives as Christ loved the church. That's God's will for you. Wives, respect your husbands. That's God's will for you. Children, obey your parents. That's God's will for you. Uh, some things are very simple to discern. Others, not so much. And so we pray that God's will might be revealed in our lives so that we can walk in accordance with His will, so that our lives will demonstrate that we are controlled by, guided by, God's will. Fully understood, fully known, uh, and being followed to the extent that we know. So that's, that's what it means. And of course he says to be filled with the knowledge of his will. This word knowledge means complete or full knowledge. Uh, Jesus Christ is our Savior, right? But he's not only our Savior. He's our Lord. So to know Jesus Christ as Savior is, well, that's not the full knowledge of who he is, what he is. Uh, and that's the idea here. We want to be filled with the knowledge of his will. Uh, this complete understanding, this complete knowledge, knowing God in every aspect of his character and nature, knowing him as he has revealed himself to be in the pages of scripture. And so again, what that should be compelling us to do is to spend more time in prayer for our brothers and sisters in Christ and to spend more time in his word so that we might fully know him, to have this, this knowledge, this full and complete knowledge of God and his will for us. Again, in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, God's will, of course, is, is his desire for you, his purpose for you. you know, one of the most glorious things that took place in my life when I came to know Christ as my Savior and Lord back in 1982 was that I, I realized that God had a, a purpose for my life far beyond what I desired for my life. God had designs and plans and purposes for me that I had never even considered before, at least not from that perspective. God has a will. For your life, God desires that you live your life in a, in a certain manner, really that you allow Christ to live his life through you. You are a person of profound purpose and significance. That's what this means. God has a purpose for you, a place and a purpose for you in his world. So, so Paul is praying is that we might live our lives controlled by God, by the Spirit of God, by the knowledge of God's will, and that we might do so with a level of competency. Uh, he says that you should be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom 
and understanding. The, the, the word wisdom there, spiritual wisdom, means to be highly skilled, uh, to, to attain deep spiritual insight. Uh, again, in the, in, the, in the spiritual insight, the, this, this skill or knowledge that, that Paul is praying that we might evidence in our lives is something that, that contrasts with human or worldly wisdom. You know, you bump into people every now and then that are smart, uh, they're insightful, um, but they don't know Jesus. The kind of knowledge, wisdom, understanding that Paul is saying that we should pray for one another uh, is, is something that comes only from God. Uh, this is a knowledge that is reserved for the spiritual man or woman. Again, received only from the Lord. You can't find it anywhere else. God has to give you this kind of of wisdom, this kind of understanding. That the, the word understanding here literally means to bring together, uh, again, as in theory and practice. I, I mentioned a moment ago, we don't, we don't teach truth simply so that you can know the truth, but we teach the truth so that you can know the truth and then do the truth. Godly living should result from godly learning. That's the idea here. And so again, as we pray for intellectual growth, uh, progress in the lives of our brothers and sisters in Christ, what we should also see is a growth in the way that we live for the Lord. Again, or allow the Lord Jesus to live through us. We ought to become uh, more and more committed Christians, more and more competent, able to handle the Word of God. Again, we, we have on Wednesday nights our Awana clubs where our children are memorizing Scripture. And uh, we want them to memorize scripture so that they, uh, well, they will be approved workmen and women. Uh, they will know God's word and not just have it memorized, but they will know what it means and how it should be applied to their lives. That's the idea here. Controlled by the spirit of God, competent in the things of God. Uh, most Christians have come to believe that this kind of spiritual ability, this kind of skill in handling the scriptures is somehow reserved for just certain classes of people. Pastors, professors, theologians. Paul says if you're a Christian, you should be growing in your understanding of the will of God, competent in your handling of the scriptures in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. And of course, there's a reason for all this. There's a purpose for which we pray these kinds of things. And, and, and he says, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord and to be fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work, increasing in the knowledge of God. May you be strengthened with all power according to his glorious might and all endurance and patience with joy. And so what he does here is he just he just piles up this list of desired results that will come as we grow in the knowledge and understanding of God's will. First, that you may walk worthy of the Lord. Now, anytime you see that word walk in the Bible, it's speaking about the way that you live, the way that you conduct yourself. And so, so what Paul is concerned about here and why he is praying for his brothers and sisters in Christ is because the way that they conduct themselves in society matters. Church, the way we live, the way we conduct ourselves in society 
matters. And we are to conduct ourselves in a manner that is worthy of the Lord. And of course, again, walking refers to living, doing. Uh, You know, in Paul's mind, you didn't truly know the truth until you were doing the truth. Matter of fact, you didn't truly know anything until you were doing it. To know something and not to do it was was completely inconsistent uh, to Hebrew thought and culture. And it ought to be to ours, you know, but sadly, as Christians in, in this day and age, we sometimes content ourselves with knowing, and we have absolutely no intent at all to do. Knowing's not enough. When Paul says that you are to walk worthy of the Lord, he means that we are to do those things that we know we should be doing. Uh, If you're not doing them, then Paul would conclude that you really don't know them. Because if you knew them, you'd be doing them. And this idea of walking worthy of the Lord, and and, and Rick kind of touched on this in his sermon a little earlier. Uh, (laughs) He spoke of giving God the glory that he deserves. And that's exactly what we're talking about here. To walk in a manner worthy, that word worthy of the Lord, means to walk in a way that God has demanded that we walk. Do you know that God has demanded that we walk in a certain way, that we live our lives in accordance with a certain set of guidelines? God has demanded that. We we call them commands. God has given us commands. Jesus went so far as to say, look, those that love me will keep my commands. So if we're going to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, that means that we are going to live in the manner that God demands that we live. And as Rick said, in a manner that he deserves that we live. God can make demands upon my life because God owns me. I've been bought with a price, Paul said. Again, that word redeemed means to purchase out of the slave market. God has bought me. With the blood of his son, Jesus Christ, I belong to him. He has set me apart for himself. He deserves my obedience. He deserves my love. He deserves me to live in a manner that makes him look great. That's what God deserves, and that's what Paul's talking about here. Our conduct, the way we live our lives, should be worthy of the Lord. And then he, he kind of qualifies that with those words fully pleasing to him. If we're living our lives, walking in a manner worthy of the Lord, then yes, God will be pleased with us. Now again, we've said over the years here, God is already pleased with you, right? He is fully pleased with you. You are accepted in the beloved. So this idea of, of walking worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, really means that day by day we will become increasingly aware, we will have a heightened awareness of how our actions reflect on the Lord. Uh, Again, I've I've shared stories over uh, the the life uh, that I have lived and long before I became a a Christian. And uh, the Lord creates us with, with, again, what we call a conscience, this ability to, to feel, feel shame for something perhaps that we did that we shouldn't have done. Uh, What Paul is talking about here is that we should, our conscience should not simply apply to us. When I was a kid and I would feel 
I have a guilty conscience over something that I had done, my, my main concern was what that was going to mean for me, the consequences that I might have to endure if my parents found out. And I think we carry that through into our adult lives. Uh, we seem to think that somehow if, uh, if the bad things, the, the evil things that we do don't affect anybody but us, well, it'll be okay. Let me tell you, it's not just you that it affects. We should have an awareness, a conscience to pleasing God, knowing that what we do has an impact on Him and really upon His reputation in the world. So we should walk worthy of the Lord daily, desiring to fully please Him. And then Paul goes on to say that there's, there should be a bearing of fruit in every good work. We should be making a contribution to the kingdom of God, all right? There are things that we are to bring to the table, and I believe that increasingly so. God gifts us, God provides for us, God, God blesses us, and what He desires then is that we bear fruit in the good works that He has called us to. In other words, that our efforts will become increasingly effective. You know, when I first became a Christian, everything was brand new to me. I, I, I was excited, I was energetic, but, but to tell you the truth, my, my, my pursuit of God perhaps wasn't as effective uh, as, as it would later become, and hopefully not as effective as it is today, because today I've had 30, almost 40 years of growing in my understanding of who God is and what it is that He desires to do in and through me. So, so as Christians, we're to make a contribution. We're to give what God has given to us. We are in turn to give to others, bearing fruit in every good work. And of course, he says, and increasing in the knowledge of God. You see, godliness will lead to an even greater knowledge of God. Uh, when we live disobedient, ungodly lives, it just leads to deeper and worse disobedience, right? So sin has this way of creating this vicious downward cycle in our lives. Godliness results in a, in a virtuous upward cycle uh, in our lives. Uh, Tony Evans uh, said that in a book that, uh, that I'm reading, No More Excuses. He, uh, I had never heard that virtuous cycle before, but it makes absolute sense, doesn't it? We're rebelling against God, living in disobedience. It's a vicious downward cycle, but when we're honoring the Lord, obeying Him, there becomes this virtuous upward cycle. So our walking worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to Him, bearing fruit in every good work, leads to this increase in the knowledge of God, which is the very thing that Paul has us praying about. So there is this continuation and then he says, may you be strengthened with all power according to his glorious might. If there's one thing that we need today, church, it's courage. Living for the Lord, out there for everybody to see, demands courage. Paul says, look, we need to pray for one another that we'd be strengthened with all power according to his glorious might. Might this increasing knowledge of God and His will will result in a boldness to live for the Lord. I mean, it's just a fact. So how do we become bold in living for Jesus? Well, we get out there and boldly live for Jesus. 
then there should be a consistency in our lives. He says, for all endurance and patience. Endurance speaks of one's ability to persevere through difficult circumstances. Anybody been through difficult circumstances lately? Haven't we all? We need endurance. Again, that comes from God. That comes as a result of knowing God and knowing His will for our lives. You know, when I know what God's will for my life is, it gives me great endurance. I'm able to hang in there and persevere because even though things may not look like they're going the way that they should be going, I know that God's in control and that it's His will for me. I've said this over the years in this church and not that we've had any, well, I'll just say this. During the most difficult times in my pastorate, God has revealed to me that that's when I'm needed the most. That's when I should persevere. Uh, It's the the hard times, the difficult times uh, that we endure. Uh, We rely upon his strength. Uh, And then the word patience there speaks of one's ability to maintain our composure with difficult people. You know any difficult people? (laughs) Difficult times, difficult people. God says... That as we grow in our knowledge of his will with all spiritual wisdom and understanding, we will be better able to persevere through those difficult times, continuing in what God has entrusted us to do, patiently, lovingly, calmly dealing with those difficult people that will inevitably be a part of the process. And here's the reality, church. One day... I may be that difficult person that you got to deal with. And then the next day, you'll be that difficult person that I have to deal with. But God has called us to love one another, right? And so we, we trust the Lord for patience. And then finally, those words, with joy. Our lives should be characterized by a contentedness. Those who are filled with the knowledge of God's will will worship him with gladness. If Bill Britt were here this morning, he'd be standing right down there saying, I'm going to have to amen that. When we are growing and being controlled by our knowledge of God's will, we will worship him with gladness. Going to church won't be a problem, won't be a duty, won't be a drudgery won't be something that we have to do. It'll be something that we get to do. David exclaimed in Psalm 121, or pardon me, 122.1, he said, I was glad when they said to me, let us go to the house of the Lord. We should be glad. And again, if we are a people growing and being filled with the knowledge of his will, we will indeed worship him with gladness. Those who have earnestly desired to follow the Lord and accomplish his work will find pleasure in it. You know, I think sometimes we get the idea that, you know, if I'm working for Jesus, it's just going to be miserable. That's not so. Discovering God's will for your life and engaging in that work that he has prepared for you is a a pleasure. It is a, a, a joy. Those that earnestly desire to follow the Lord and accomplish his work 
will find pleasure. Again, David proclaimed this to the Lord in Psalm 1611. He said, you make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand there are pleasures forevermore. You see, that's the life that God has called us to. That's, that's the result of loving the Lord, walking in the ways of God, fulfilling the purposes of God, accomplishing the work of God. Fullness of joy, pleasures forevermore. And then finally, those who are growing daily in the knowledge of God's word are the happiest people in the world. Do you believe that? You know, I can stand up here and say that, but if you don't believe it, it doesn't, I guess if I don't believe it, I, I believe that. People that know God, that know His Word, that are growing in their knowledge and understanding of God, they're going to be happy people. Because we're going to know things, again, that we didn't know before. We're going to know things that not just everybody knows. We're going to have a perspective that only a believer can have in this world. We're going to have comforts that other people just don't understand. Happiness. Psalm 1 begins with these words. Blessed is the man. Happy is the man. Really, it's, it's a plural there. It's, it's happinesses will characterize you. You will experience great happiness, great joy. Again, if you delight yourself in the law of the Lord and in that law meditate day and night. Study of God's word, coming to understand God's word, again, should never be looked at as a drudgery or a duty. It, it brings happiness beyond our wildest imagination. So church, we must pray for one another. We must pray for the intellectual progress of our brothers and sisters in Christ. I just want to call on you. Pray for me, please. Pray that God will continue to reveal His Word, His will to me each and every day. Pray that for me. I need you to pray that for me, and I'm going to pray that for you.